You're listening to Misty Radio on WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM, a show that connects MIT to the world. I'm your host, Sanaya Sampson-Hill.
the bionic zit splitter. Breakneck speeds, we drown 10 pints of bitter. We lean all day, and some say they ain't productive. Could that depend upon the demon that you're stuck with? Cause right now, I see clearer than most. I sit here contented with this cheese on toast. I feel the pain of a third world famine. Said, wait, we count them blessings and keep jamming. Chism, scumbag, scum of the earth. His work was nil until he gained the skill of tongues. From 15 years young, straight to my gray back self. I stay top shelf material. Jerk chicken, jerk fish. Break away slave bliss. Generate G's and then be stashing with the Swiss. Fools can't see this. Under your pistols, a fist full of hip hop duns. I progressing in the flesh. Esoteric quotes, most frightening. Duppy took a hold of my hand while I was writing. Leg on me ting, Duppy, leg on me and. I summon up the power of Banana Clan. Witness the fitness. The prophet delivered. One hope, one quest. Witness the fitness. The prophet delivered. One hope, one quest. Witness the fitness. The prophet delivered. One hope, one quest. Witness the fitness. The prophet delivered. One hope, one quest. Swigging that deep root juice. Now we're there burning boots. Set them spirit, them loose. Go ahead, go slash up the noose. We conclusive proof about the truth, the right. Cause whether we can shike or push bike or travel kind of trash. Manifest that with oats and roots rap. Manifest that, yeah. I do my zing way. Ain't nothing else I know. Gone up in the life with this ragged bone flow. Squeeze the pain from my belly and set my soul free. Travel over ocean, land and sea. Face enough stress and difficulty. Flung back from the brink. Whining kind of stink. We don't give a frig about what them fools think. Frig your network, our network will speak for itself. Proof of the trophy and the champion belt. Come sun, come rain, come hellstone pelt. Witness the fitness. The prophet and living. One hope, one quest. Witness the fitness. The prophet and living. One hope, one quest. Witness the fitness. The prophet and living. One hope, one quest. Yeah. Wanna submit with some old time shit Let the old world know it's on some off key tip Megamanic, when time the pressure start lick By the hook or by the crook, by the poop or by the kick He sickly cryptic, spitting the code And most proud to present that Crawford mode And it shows that that bro's done Seen a few slights, life throw scenario Reality bites, we in collision with the beast Lost to religion, now we can't get no peace Idiot, we can't run for tech, I for chief Stoop to the level and we're plotting cold grief But we should know that discipline make up the geese. Separation of the dat from the rat, that's a must. Proceed set speed with the Crufferton touch. Proceed set speed. Crufferton, y'all. Witness the fitness. The Crufferton living. You just heard Witness, One Hope by English rapper Roots Manuva. Before that, we played Checheco by Ethiopian singer Astra Weke. Now, let's move on to our first interview of the show with Nacho Nwana, a recent MIT grad who double majored in management and political science. As a Nigerian-American, he had looked to travel to Africa through Misty, but with all trips halted for most of 2020, he couldn't get there. As a way to get connected to the continent, he interned at a Senegal-based startup called Luca and launched his own podcast, Africa Unveiled. Ari spoke with Nacho to discuss the work he's been doing as an intern at LUCA and what he's learned about the digital landscape in countries like Nigeria, and even how Bitcoin is used in Africa. Here's Nacho and Ari. End of my senior year, pretty much I had to figure out what to do. You know, COVID hit, didn't really have a job lined up yet. Well, I had a job lined up that got pushed off, so I just needed something to do. And I've always wanted to do Misty, particularly Misty Africa. And this was the summer to do it. But unfortunately, we couldn't go travel. But I didn't want to lose that opportunity to really get involved on the continent and do something cool. So I interviewed for a startup called Luca, as you know, they're in Senegal, and they do market research for big, small companies, just trying to help out companies that are trying to figure out, you know, how to approach different problems on the continent, how to reach consumers, understand consumers. Through those experiences, I just wanted to figure out what other market research is there on the continent and what more can I learn from that. And now with the extra added skill of being able to look at data and come to conclusions, I felt like I was really well positioned to do so. So started looking into it, realized I don't just like looking into it. I like talking about it. And that transitioned me into the podcast and Africa Unveiled. 
I am fully Nigerian, both my parents are Nigerian, but I was born here. And so even with my, what I believe is like a higher level of knowledge on things that are happening in the continent, you just never really fully know until you talk to people and experience it in that regard. So some of the early surprises, we did a report on digital onboarding and, you know, the perception here is that digital inclusion isn't too great on the continent and people aren't really as tech savvy and involved in different things like that. But, you know, from that report, you see high levels of digital inclusion, a lot of people using a lot of different apps. The tech world is booming. People have smartphones, they're using it. And obviously it's not at the levels of maybe other countries, but it's still very high. And you kind of start to really check your biases, even as an African myself, just living in the US, you have this perception of just things that aren't really the case. I remember when, you know, when, um, when coronavirus hit and uh, Luca was surveying people around Dakar, sort of how worried they are about it. And it was interesting to see what people were saying. And, and Senegal is actually one of these countries that has, has known to have handled it quite well. I don't know how that, did, did that manifest in, um, in any of the work that you did with them and how that came up? Yeah, I mean, in terms of just how COVID affected the work, it seemed like Luca still just kept momentum through the COVID cycle, which was really impressive. And obviously they haven't been hit as hard as we have here. You know, I'm on calls with them and they're kind of like, are you guys still going through it as if they're not really experiencing what's going on? But it, it's, it's definitely interesting. You know, they just kept momentum. The, the great thing about this is that everybody kind of, like it doesn't stop needing research. You know, companies still need research and there are ways to do it digitally without actually going to people. Um, and obviously like we did a lot of digital stuff with the Bitcoin thing, you know, on the phone using this app called Notion and doing those interviews. But surveyors are still on the ground talking to people as much as they can. So operations have really stayed pretty strong. Okay, so on your our podcast so far, what are some of the other uh, topics that you touch on that you yeah, totally fail, so to speak? Yeah, so the first episode was a, a long one about Bitcoin. That's one of the things I'm most excited about, just, you know, Bitcoin transitioning from an investment vehicle to an actual currency, and a currency people can use to both buy goods and save money. Right, like there are a lot of niche markets for Bitcoin. People talked about trading artwork using Bitcoin, talked about buying some very niche hardware things for their tech companies. So there are a lot of use cases for buying and selling and also saving, right? A lot of these currencies in these African economies are extremely volatile just because of the socio and political economic situations in those countries. And so having a Bitcoin or what they call stable coins. So stable coins are cryptocurrency backed by the US dollar. And so people often like that just to save their money as opposed to saving it in the Naira where tomorrow everything is gone because the currency has fluctuated. So that was the first episode. And then I talked about in another episode, just the emerging VC presence on the continent. A lot of startups people are getting really excited about. And so a lot of money is pouring in and it's creating this positive feedback loop that's encouraging entrepreneurship. So that's great as well. And I'm just trying to find as many topics as possible to talk about and continue to explore the research on the continent. And, and I know that you were also uh, president of student council. I was. Um, and, and uh, you know, do you think maybe, you know, in that role, you have a sort of a particular uh, sharp or keen interest on understanding sort of where the, where people are and how they think um, is if, you, if, you're, if you're being elected to represent them, sort of a, a very useful uh, yeah. thing to pay attention to. No, totally. When you're in one of those leadership positions, you're so constantly thinking about how can I better understand somebody else to make their experience better, which is honestly just not something that we generally have to think about a lot in a lot of situations, and especially at MIT where we're all doing so many cool things and really head down and focused in our projects and our research and just the things that we're doing. It was definitely a very unique experience having to think constantly about how can I make the experiences better for 
you know, a couple hundred to a thousand people. And I think that also is what led me to continue going down that path in market research and things like that, going back to the continent. So I, you know, I always felt that, uh, these sort of, this sort of market research market serving is so interesting in Africa. Cause I, after I, when I, when I, when I was in Peace Corps in Kenya, I just kept, and afterwards kept thinking to myself, there's like, there's a real opportunity here to really just understand. Like, I just felt there was, there was an information asymmetry. Like that is that, you know, whatever people, the people who uh, were, were interested in investing and the people that were interested in buying in Africa were sort of like, didn't have these interesting didn't have these uh, platforms to communicate clearly to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they didn't know how, he, how they thought about one another. Thanks for joining and for being a part uh, of this podcast and sharing more about what uh, you're doing with Africa Unveiled and for just being a, a great MIT Africa program participant. Thank you to Nacho for joining us. Let's end this segment with a bit of music from Africa. This is Ojuelegba by Nigerian singer Whiskey. It's legendary beats.
You just listened to Teramir Saf by artist Lucky Ali, a pivotal figure in India's indie pop genre. That's I-N-D-I-P-O-P. My name is Min Min Yen, or I go by Mimi. Um, class of 2011, um, I was course 20 in undergrad, and I came from Herndon, <laughs> Virginia as my hometown. And the program for Misty that I participated in was Italy. Really wanted to get a broader view of how people did science in the world. I really wanted to travel and understand how things were done, how 
problems were thought of, what different solutions and perspectives people had um, when it comes to facing the same issue. Um, and I thought MISTI was an excellent opportunity for me to do that. And I was lucky enough to go to University of Cagliari um, to work um, with Professor Bianca Maria Baroli, who was really instrumental in helping me also gain my confidence back as a scientist. We worked on nanoparticles um, for cancer in particular. I loved biology and I loved the application of biology and the engineering mindset um, is what I really took away from the course. Um, so there I was working on optimizing different formulations for the nanoparticles in order to deliver cancer medicine. I could talk about the technical skills, but I really think that the strongest um, skills I gained from it is really from that inter um personal skills that you gain from talking to people and immersing yourself in a completely different culture understanding um the ways that they do science picking up on little cues social cues as well as to how people um feel like they're making a connection with you through science which is completely different in different countries completely different in different regions of a country as well um, and I think in terms of the work that I do now, I have a global health startup. I'm working with people and stakeholders from all over the globe and being able to understand how they're coming at a problem, how they can connect to you as human beings first on a problem and um, being able to solve it together. I think that's the strongest thing that I took away from this to Italy. When I was at MIT, I really made it a point to participate in MISTI because I think I grew up in a very privileged situation. I went to a magnet high school for science and technology. Um, through that, I got internships at the NIH. I did Europe's at MIT in biological engineering labs. I was very deeply rooted in how US does its science. Um, and I think one of the greatest things about science is that everyone in the world is doing something to work on these global problems. Um, to really see if we can solve something for humanity and being able to participate in a lab that is working on similar problems that people at MIT, people in Africa, people in Asia are working on to understand how interconnected we are. I think that adds a different perspective, um, especially when we're working in teams just as undergraduates, realizing that there is so much potential out there and so much talent out there as well that we have to be open to. So I also did um, the teaching experience for um, IAP for MISTI Italy as well. Um, and then I returned back to the same lab afterwards for a second summer. So I really connected with everyone and coming from already a bicultural identity, being able to really understand how people work in that way. Um, and I touched on this a little bit in how we all have the same problems. We're all facing very similar issues that affect us globally. Um, so taking from that experience, being able to teach science, being able to work with scientists from a different culture, and then bringing that to where I am now, where I still have to work with people who might not be of scientific backgrounds but of different cultural backgrounds still working on the same issue um, being able to talk to different audiences in that way being able to talk to different stakeholders in that way um, is really important for me in my current job um, working on cholera so i think being able to understand science and teach science as well um, to a group of high schoolers in an Italian high school, being able to get them excited about what you're teaching um, is something that I carry forward with me to this day where I, I have to talk about this new modality of treatment and prevention for cholera. How do I get them excited about it, even if they didn't have a scientific background, but they're just really passionate about solving cholera? I think a lot of those communication skills um, really came from my mystery experiences. I think what's important about science, about STEM in general, about us as human beings really, is knowing that we are not isolated on this continent, in this country. Um, that if we don't have the experience and the exposure of going abroad, 
not only connecting with people about the science, but outside of lab when we're abroad, how do we connect to people in a different culture? How do we understand their perspectives? How do we do it not offensively also? How do we make sure that we're open-minded? I think that really adds to the whole experience of being a student of MIT because MIT is such an international community as well. So, and we all come from different cultures at MIT. So it not only adds to our sense of community as students, as undergraduates and graduates in our institution, but makes us ready for being professionals in an increasingly interconnected world. When it comes to science, talent is everywhere. So when it comes to our political climate as well, something that we need to really understand as scientists is that we have to be open and accepting of scientists from other countries as well and work with them together because they will bring a completely different mindset and new ideas. Um, and MIT is all about ideas and innovation. So why should we close ourselves out off to that? Um, so being able to travel abroad in that way and have that as the intent in going also, I think is really important for an MIT student. Yeah, I think for a MISTI host, um, I think it's an incredible opportunity to be able to mentor someone from a different culture from yours, because ultimately mentoring someone, you're teaching them a lot, but the mentee can also um, teach some things as well as to how do we connect with people from different cultures. Um, and I think what ultimately is great about a collaboration with MISTI is that we start to build a relationship across all the countries that MISTI is involved in. And I could see that MISTI has scaled up quite a bit since I've done it, which means that um, hopefully MISTI's MIT students are helping in their projects, ultimately their scientific projects, but I think it works on building an MIT community and a STEM community around the world as well. I don't think there is a greater experience than being able to travel and work or be a student in a different country. Um, I think I was very privileged to be able to be funded to travel abroad and gain exposure to um, so many places, not only Italy, but I also did SMART, um, which was Singapore, which I think now has turned into Misty Singapore. But being able to not only do work, but travel um, in those countries and really start to understand the history of that country, um, the power dynamics in that country, I think it rounds us out to be not only better students of science and engineering, but better students of the world as well. And um, I don't think you can really do that just from reading about it. Thank you to Min Min for the testimonial. Next up is the song Lead Wings by Finnish band Dawn of Silence.
for our last segment, we want to play a snippet from another show, the MIT Brazil podcast. In this piece, produced by MIT student Sarah, the program's managing director and faculty director, have a conversation about the Misty Brazil experience. Here is the excerpt. Welcome to the MIT Brazil podcast. MIT just marked its 10th anniversary. And while the team who makes the MIT Brazil program looks back and takes stock of all the growth, they also take time to think about the next decade and what the program can become. Rosabelli Coelho Cesar is the managing director for the MIT Brazil program and our host today. She's interviewing chemical engineering professor and MIT Brazil faculty director, Brad Olson. Brad is an associate professor with tenure in the Department of Chemical Engineering at MIT. He earned his bachelor in chemical engineering at MIT his PhD in chemical engineering at the University of California, Berkeley, and was a postdoctoral scholar at the California Institute of Technology. Olson's research expertise is in materials chemistry and polymer physics, with a particular emphasis on molecular self-assembly, block copolymers, polymer network and gels, and protein biomaterials. He is a recipient of multiple awards, including the Committed to Caring Award at MIT. His work has led to over 100 peer-reviewed publications and more than 10 patents or patent applications. Let's turn to Rosa and Brad's conversation about how MIT's connection with Brazil and other countries in the Western Hemisphere could be made more robust and Brad's personal relationship with Brazil. Okay, uh, so uh, thank you so much, Brad, for accepting to do this interview. I really wanted to have a bit more of a sense and share with the world um, about your work as not only as a faculty at MIT, but also the MIT Brazil faculty director. Uh, I wanted to start from the beginning and how do you recall your relationship with Brazil started? Yeah, actually, it's um, sort of by chance. So it, it started one day when I received an email from a professor, um, at that time a brand new professor at the Federal University of Rio Grande. Um, her name was uh, Velazia Martins, and she emailed me saying she wanted to come and do a sabbatical in my lab studying protein hydrogels, which is one of the big areas of activity and interest for us. And she, uh, she, she sort of made a compelling case and we started a conversation. And around that time, MIT was also putting together a um, a group of faculty members to explore uh, potential research collaborations with Brazil in the area of energy and materials. And they reached out and said, who has an interaction with Brazil? And I said, well, you know, I'm uh, arranging to host this person on sabbatical in my group. And so because of that, I was included in the group going down to talk about potential interactions and overlap. And it really just took off from there. So it really was Due to one random email from uh, a friend, now good friend of mine, who lives in the very south of the country. And how 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 did the the first trip to Brazil go? And how did then it, did it solidify your interest in Brazil? How would you characterize this first trip? Yeah, it, it was um, it was pretty interesting. I mean, of, of course, it must have been great, right? If it, if, it were, if it were bad, then nothing else would have happened, right? Kind of bad things lead to dead ends, right? Um, I would say, you know, the first time traveling to Brazil, I was definitely very nervous. Um, you know, I think the things I knew that would be when I arrived is I knew that it would be hard to find people who spoke English. And I knew that um, Brazil was famous for being a place where you always have to be careful. And... So it wasn't like uh, jumping on a jet to Paris or something like that. And and for me, that was kind of exciting. And so actually, before the first time I went, you know, Rosa, you gave me a lot of advice and gave me a book to read on Brazilian culture, which I read, you know, voraciously and found it absolutely fascinating. And then I found myself actually on the plane sitting next to an MIT undergraduate student who was going home to visit her family in Campinas, the same city where we were going for the visit. And she told me all about interesting things in Brazil and um, you know when, when I got there it was exactly as advertised landing in the airport um, I couldn't find the driver to the car and no one spoke any English and I was lost for two hours in the Sao Paulo airport 
before we finally found someone who knew where we were going and, and were able to get in the car. And then when we got to Campinas, the student had recommended a really good restaurant. And, and so another professor I was traveling with and I went to the front desk and we said, we wanna to go to this restaurant, how do we get there? And the people at the front desk looked at us and said, you can't go to that restaurant, that, that neighborhood's not good for you, go to this other restaurant instead. Um, so it, you know, there, there was a little bit of truth in advertising, um, but what wasn't advertised you know, in sort of this international media reputation is all the amazing things. Um, I think, it, unfortunately, some of these other things tend to tend to come out, but how warm people were, how engaging they were. Um, Brazil is full of really smart scientists. And so it wasn't very difficult, you know, in just visiting in one time to really appreciate both the talent that's there, to appreciate sort of the ways uh, the different ways people do things and the advantages that many of those offer. Um, and, and definitely looking back, I, 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 it was only scratching the surface, but man, it really just fascinated me. And, and it was a lot of fun and um, it was, you know, a really good professional opportunity. And, and so it was something really worth continuing. And can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the the um, importance perhaps of the seed fund grants and how you continue to, you know, strengthen that, those ties, the actual professional ties that you have with Brazil now? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think seed fund grants, to, to first speak to that, were really critical for us in terms of getting to know different people, but also in terms of bringing students down to Brazil. So uh, a pretty large number of my students um, went down to Brazil and interacted. And this was especially interesting to them after being in the group with um, the visiting professor, Professor Martins. And later we had um, some postdocs, visiting undergrad students, other visiting professors. So all of the MIT students got to know these Brazilians, hear about their different life. They learned a few words in Portuguese, maybe not the words that I'm supposed to say during the podcast, but you know, they learned a few words in, in Portuguese. And, and they got to be good friends. And, and so then we went down to, to do scientific collaborations. And some of the things that they heard from the people visiting MIT were now becoming more real. And, and uh, I think, so to me, that was really rewarding. And as a faculty member, you know, being able to go on, um, I guess in Portuguese, you would call them missions. I don't know what we would call them in English, um, but uh, being able to go on these trips and participate in research activities with the students, I think was, it was great in terms of developing contacts in Brazil for me, but the thing I liked the best was the impact it had on the students' education at MIT, their international perspective, um, and, and kind of their own scientific growth and development. And I learned so much about, about my students. One of them is the most amazing navigator on the iPhone I ever saw. We were trying to return a rental car at the airport in Congonias, and we could not find the rental agency to save our life. And we're just driving around. I can't say driving in a circle because it was like a giant Y. It is like driving around in the shape of an antibody, basically over and over looking for this rental car agency. And we, we couldn't find it. And eventually I had to park in, in a no parking zone. And I told my students, okay, I know neither of you can drive in Brazil, but if the Policia Militar comes up to your car, just drive away and I'll meet you at the other end of the airport. And then like, as I come out, I'm having to chase the car down the, down the terminal as they're pulling away without me. But uh, we figured out where the rental agency was, got it returned, you know, a lot of really good adventures and, uh, and fun. And I think the impact on their education was really large. So, you know, definitely MISTI seed funds are, are a research program, but I think that the impact on education is tremendous. We'll now play Ritos Ponches e Overdrives, which translates to rivers, bridges, and overdrives, performed by Brazilian artist Chico Science. At night, over rivers and bridges.
Tô bem no sol do meio-dia O carro passou por cima e o mulambo ficou lá Mulambo eu Mulambo tu Mulambo eu Mulambo tu MISTI Radio is a production of MIT International Science and Technology Initiatives. It is edited by Amina Khatun. You can listen to us on WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close today's show with the song Haiku by Australian artist Napalm. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Tony,
내려온다 봄 내려온다 봄이 내려온다 봄님 깊은 걸로 한지생이 내려온다 두의 머리를 흔들며 양이 축질해지고 봄은 얼쑤덜쑤 꼬리는 잔뜩 한 마리 온다 동해 한뜻 한 마리 전도 같은 빗다리 해나 같은 말을 도으로 온도 사람의 생명을 잔뜩 뿌리와 꼬리 